As we are talking through today, I've got a bit of a, I've got a teaching. I've got three points, shocker. Um, uh, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. It's, it's maybe going to feel a little bit like a, like a teaching. I certainly don't want it to go so far as to feel like a lecture. <laughs> um, that, that, I do that at the Bible college. Uh, but So this, this might feel a little bit like a teaching, but this is a teaching series that we're in called Rule Your Life. We're talking about spiritual disciplines that, that, you, that you can add into your life, and uh, hopefully you build what we talked about this at the beginning of the series, what, something that's called a rule of life, which is not rules or regulations for your life, but a framework or a structure for your life, and spiritual disciplines are the things that you add into your rhythm or the, 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 the rule of your life so that you can learn to live more like Jesus if he were living in your, in your life. Now, here's the thing about that, as we're thinking about uh, bringing the kingdom, and we're thinking about ruling your life, uh, spiritual disciplines being added into your life. If, if, if you are a human living in 2023, which so far, check, okay, uh, there's a good chance that as we're talking about spiritual disciplines, there's a good chance that at some point along the way, even in the mildest sense that a series like this could give you anxiety, because your pastor stands up every Sunday and goes, here's something you should add to your life. And then you go, add to my life? You want me to put more things on my life? And the answer to that question ultimately is no. We want you to put the right things into your life. Which might mean that some things no longer fit in your life, right? And again, we come all the way back around and you go, oh, no, that gives me anxiety. No, that, right, that's the thing right there. You're naming the thing right now that stresses me out about this series. In fact, I can't wait for you to be done with this series, so I stop listening to you tell me all of the things I'm supposed to put into my life. Well, first of all, I want to tell you that the idea of, uh, and, and all of this is tied together in my brain, so let me help you see how this is tied to, in, together in my brain. When my supervisor said to me, go home and bring the kingdom, I immediately thought about this series because I believe that what we're doing is not adding rules and legalism to your life. What we're doing is talking about ways that we can bring the kingdom of God into our lives, right? So I didn't come home from that and go, oh, no, I have to change the series. We've been, we've been talking about religion too much. We can't talk about spiritual disciplines in a Pentecostal church. We have to bring the kingdom. I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, you're bringing the kingdom by teaching people how to live in my kingdom. So join me as we continue to talk about uh, spiritual disciplines today Ironically, for a bunch of people who might, like me, feel like adding disciplines gives us anxiety because, you know, you've got chores and family and hopefully friends that you spend time with, and then you've got work and you've got hopefully exercise and your life just feels crowded and all of that. Uh, I, I think that the, the spiritual discipline that we're going to talk about today is, is the antidote to the stress that you feel as we're talking about bringing the kingdom of God into your life by means of spiritual disciplines. Let's root this in Scripture for a second. Okay, that'd be a good idea. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower 
I won't take time to dig into the entire parable, parable of the sower. Uh, we're going to move rather quickly on to talking about the discipline of simplicity. But, but he's, he's explaining this parable of the sower to his disciples. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, um, he says this, Other people are like seed thrown among the, the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, I, I actually read this and go, oh no. <laughs> what if parts of my life are like this? Can anyone relate to, to what Jesus is saying here, right? Okay, think about a few moments in your life. Think about the last time you felt anxiety or anger or, or, or stress or fear. Okay, you don't like thinking about that. Think about instead the last time you made a purchase. Okay, like I bought these boots uh, on Thursday. Okay, I'm thinking about it. Think about the last purchase you made. Maybe it was like you put gas in, in the tank of your vehicle, uh, or you bought groceries, or you bought a coffee on the way out, uh, over here, or maybe you bought a donut that um, the money goes into our youth ministry. Um, okay, now think about the last serious conversation you had. I told you Danny and I were coming from Carlsbad. We, we had three hours in the car uh, to, to have serious conversation. We talked about you guys for a while in the, in the car for three hours there and back. Um, you, thinking about, you thinking about it? Here's the question. In those moments, the last time you made a purchase, the last time you felt fear, anxiety, or some other dark emotion, or the last time you were in a serious conversation, was the first thing that popped into your head scripture. No? You, you also? <laughs> okay. C.S. Lewis defines friendship as when you meet another person and you go, oh, what, you too? Right? So, okay. So, if you also didn't think about scripture as the first time or the first thing in your thought, the last time you got angry or the last time you bought a pair of shoes, like I, I wrote this question in my notes and immediately felt convicted. I bought the boots because I wanted them, and I was like, I need some black boots. And then I went and bought boots. I asked my wife if I could buy the boots. 20 years of marriage will do that. But as I wrote the question, I realized I didn't actually ask Jesus if I should buy the boots. All right, so we're friends in this. We're friends. You, me too. Yeah, we, this is part of our our human existence, right? Okay, all of that said, we're going to get to simplicity in a second. Let me tell you two truths. Truth number one, the lives of most people in the Western world are crowded by many things. That feels true, right? Truth number two, bless you. Truth number two, God's kingdom cannot grow in a life that is distracted and overcrowded. That's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples in Mark chapter 4. God's kingdom cannot grow in a life that is distracted and overcrowded. Therefore, we have to make a choice. The choice is that we can embrace the word and reject the world or the other way around. You cannot have it both ways. The discipline we need in order to live in the kind of life that brings the kingdom of God into our lives because we make room for the kingdom of God in our lives. I propose 
is the discipline of simplicity. So I want to talk to you about what that looks like, how, dis how the discipline of simplicity can help you today. But let's begin our study by clarifying what, dis uh, what the discipline of simplicity is not. Uh, simplicity is not a style of architecture or design. It's not, it's not, has nothing to do with the structure of your house, okay? Uh, we, are, we are not simply interested in the design of physical spaces when we talk about the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Uh, like all disciplines, the focus here is more on the design of your life than where your life lives. Does this make sense? Okay. Uh, so, simplicity also is not a system of organizing. The goal here is not just to make room for more stuff, which actually usually results in us being more addicted to just more things, right? Neither is simplicity a trend or a fad. Uh, some version of simplicity has been around in popular culture for generations, right? Uh, it used to be called frugality, but no one knows what that word means anymore, so we don't call it that. Uh, modern expressions are, use the word, and you, you might have already thought this, the word minimalism is the modern secular or pop culture expression. Maybe recently you became familiar with a person named Marie Kondo. Familiar to anybody? Uh, she became wildly popular when she wrote a book and started making all kinds of videos and appearances talking about, uh, about simplifying the stuff that you have and organizing your life. And she gave us one beautiful rule for life, which was asking when you hold the thing in your hand, does this spark joy? Does this spark joy? Now, just for the record, I don't know what that means. But that's what she told us to, to ask. Does this spark joy? And this became a super trend among millennials, right? We all became minimalists because of Marie Kondo. Interestingly enough, Kondo has since, quote, moved on from a focus on tidy spaces. You know what happened to her? She had three children. <laughs> Yeah, all, all the moms in the room were like, oh, yeah, that'll do it. Yep, that's why I didn't read that book, uh-huh, because I got kids. Yeah, okay. Here's the thing, though, is that she didn't completely move on from the principle. What's interesting is that adding more people into her universe just expanded her understanding of what she was already talking about. She suddenly began to realize that the conversation that is important isn't about what you do with your t-shirt and how you fold it so it fits nicely in your closet. The conversation is about the way that you live. In fact, she expanded her thinking to, the, to something that the Japanese call the uh, kurashi, which is actually translated in English means way of life. Uh, Kondo actually explained in her recent uh, book, she writes, tidying up means dealing with all the things in your life. So what do you really want to put in order? She goes on to ask this question, what if every decision you made, every goal that you set, and every aspect of your life was guided by what sparks joy? So she's still on the sparks joy thing, but she's expanded her focus not to how do you place your socks in your house and do you have too many of those? But what does the tidiness of your entire life look like? Look, pay attention. This is why this is important because even pop culture understands that tidiness is about a way of living, not just about the things that you 
do with the stuff that you have. It's about the way that you live in the world. Now, as Christians, we understand that our disciplines only go so far if they're just habits. That the goal of spiritual disciplines is to root our lives in Christ and his kingdom and bring his kingdom into our world. Meaning that if our disciplines do not lead us back to God, they are just habits. We're interested in spiritual disciplines. Okay, so when we talk about simplicity, we're not just parroting the pop culture conversation about minimalism and tidiness. And, and, and even though, I mean, go read Marie Kondo's book. That's fine. I have nothing against it. Maybe if I read it, I'll understand what she means when she says spark joy. But I'm more interested in asking the question, what does Jesus mean when he wants to bring the kingdom of God into my life? And asks me the question, do you have room for me? Simplicity is the discipline that will help me make room for the kingdom of God. So then what in the world is the spiritual discipline of simplicity? Richard Foster wrote a book called The Celebration of Disciplines, and in it he said, simplicity is an inward reality of single-hearted focus upon God and his kingdom, which results in an outward lifestyle of, listen to this, modesty, openness, and unpretentiousness, which, that's, a, that's just a fun, that's a fun word. And then which disciplines our hunger for status, glamour, and luxury. In other words, the more we discipline our lives around simplicity, the less we will be hungry for status, glamour, and luxury. Adele Albert Calhoun wrote in the Handbook of the Disciplines, Simplicity cultivates the great, the great art of letting go. Simplicity aims at loosening inordinate attachment to owning and having. Simplicity brings freedom and with it generosity. Notice the progression of simplicity, that simplicity makes you free, and then it makes you generous. That's beautiful. And John Mark Comer defines simplicity as limiting the number of possessions, expenses, activities, and social obligations to a level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. And he goes on to say, hurry and busyness and overload all crowd out the soul's inner growth into love and joy and peace. Simplicity is the number one way that we shape our life to create margin, to receive the love of God, and to give that love to other people. Think with me about what Comer is saying here for a second. The discipline of simplicity helps you to have room in your life to love God and so much room in your life that while you're loving God, you can also love other people. I wonder if maybe someone else has ever said anything like that before. This, this guy comes up to Jesus one day and he goes, what's the greatest commandment? You know what Jesus says? He says, the greatest commandment is... Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Okay, so the easiest way to describe living the Christian life is love God, love people. What does living the Christian life look like? It looks like love God with all of yourself and love all of the people around you, no matter who they are, what they did yesterday, and what they might do today. 
love God and love people. And yet, most of us feel too busy to make room for God, let alone other people. I don't have time for you. I'm too busy. We live too fast to slow down and spend time with God. We're asking you to add disciplines in your life, and you go, the anxiety is rising in my life. And again, simplicity becomes an antidote for the sickness of busy, for overcrowded living. You want to bring the kingdom of God into your life. Simplify the way you live. So the discipline of simplicity cultivates or makes room for freedom and obedience in our lives. So in in the time that I've got left with you and your attention, I want to talk about three ways that simplicity helps to set us free. And the first one is this, that simplicity frees our schedule. We talked a little bit about busyness. Have you ever met somebody that talks about how busy they are as if it's a badge of honor? Yeah, like, they, like we brag about our schedules because secretly, we won't say this publicly, but we say, how busy I am validates how important I am, right? Can you imagine how important I must be if all of these people are asking me to do all of these things? You probably wish you had time to spend with me, but I can't spend time with you because I'm just so important. We're not saying that, but we kind of are saying that, Right? I'm just so busy. I've got so many things that if I don't exist and do all of these things, these things don't get done. It's interesting that God actually doesn't see it this way. He doesn't actually see our busyness as a validation for our value. James writes about this in James chapter 4. He says, Come now, you who say tomorrow or today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Or what your life will be. For you're like, a, you're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. Now, notice the detail here. Okay, so having a full schedule is not evil. But boasting or bragging about how you filled your schedule is the problem. Right? So the issue is not how much stuff you have to do. A full schedule is not a sign of success or value as a person. Neither is it necessarily a sign that you don't trust God if your schedule is full. Simplicity is not about doing nothing. It's a posture of humility regarding your schedule. The question that simplicity wants you to ask about your schedule is, who put that stuff on your calendar? Was it you and your great, incredible, infinite wisdom? (laughs) Or did God, the actual creator of you and everything else, put that thing on your schedule? Like, why is Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on my schedule? Because God told me to gather with the church. Nobody gets to take up my Sunday at 10 a.m. I'm always with God and his people in the church. You get that because you're here, right? A simple life makes room for God's things first. Again, the issue is not how much stuff you do. It's about who put those things on your schedule. So practicing the discipline of simplicity with your schedule means that you pray about your schedule. Do you? 
Do you pray about who you spend time with and where you, uh, where you, what you put on your schedule each week? Do you prioritize? The discipline of simplicity in your schedule means that you plan time with God as a top priority. That you actually schedule work and rest and family time and fun and church and community as God leads you, not based on what you want to do, but what God would lead you to do. The discipline of simplicity means that you hold your plan loosely so that God can interrupt your schedule. Or uh, the, the normal way that you live is that, sorry, God, you can only actually talk to me on Sundays at 10 a.m. if I've made time to show up to church on a Sunday because I just do not have time for you to interrupt me on a Tuesday. Please don't you dare do that. Right? So this requires trust in God that God's interruptions are actually good for us. Now, look, some people struggle with schedules in different ways. I am the guy that struggles with being scheduled. I love a fly by the seat of your pants and blame it on my Pentecostalism. I love that. I'm just moving with the Holy Spirit. Don't lock me down to a schedule. I'm just letting the Spirit lead. And my wife wants to plan everything out for the next 20 years of our marriage. <laughs> right? And, and whichever one you felt sounded terrible, you're, you're the other one. And good for you. We need all of us in the kingdom together. Otherwise, we'd never get anything done, but we'd also never experience the whimsical wonder of God moving like right now in a moment. Right? So the discipline of simplicity teaches us to live somewhere in the middle, trusting the foreknowledge of God. Like God knew what was going to happen tomorrow, so he helps us to plan ahead. And, and, and that's actually good. The God of structure and order likes your schedules. But God also loves to interrupt a schedule. He loves to be, lead you by the Holy Spirit. He loves for you just to have fun living life with him right now in the moment. Yes, live somewhere in the middle. The discipline of simplicity makes room for schedules and interruptions and enjoys all of it because it's all led by the Lord, not by you. The second way that simplicity is a gift to us is that it frees up our speech. Have you noticed that words complicate our lives? If you haven't noticed, sign up for a social media account and post about politics. Right? Words complicate our lives. They complicate our lives. I mean, words complicate our lives. I've actually lost friends over things I've said about sports teams. Words complicate our lives. Okay, let's consider a couple of Proverbs. Let's, let's go to Scripture on this. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, in the Amplified Version, it says, where there are many words, transgressions, and offense are unavoidable. But he who controls his lips and keeps thoughtful, silence is wise. Okay, so thoughtful silence is helpful there, right? It's not just the guy that shuts his brain off because he can't be bothered. It's the person who is thoughtful in their silence. In Proverbs 18.21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And I love the message translation of this where it says, Words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. It's pretty good. There's no middle ground here. 
But our problem is this. Our speech tends to be undisciplined. So what happens with undisciplined speech? Our words just come directly from our emotions, from whatever you're thinking or feeling right now in the moment. Because we didn't ask God. We don't have a simple life. We just are convoluted and complex and emotional beings who just say whatever we feel like saying right now in this moment. What Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The undisciplined mouth just lets whatever's in the heart just come out without any kind of control. James talks about this, how like the tongue is a, is a, is a spark that can set an entire forest on fire. What he's saying is an undisciplined mouth can burn your life down, right? So words become really problematic if we don't pay attention to them. Thankfully, Jesus also taught us a lesson about simplicity of speech in Matthew chapter 5, speaking about making uh, impressive vows or promises, the way we use words to impress God or other people. Uh, Jesus says just a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Another translation is let your yes be yes and your no be no. He goes, it goes so far as to say anything beyond yes or no is from the evil one. A simplicity of speech frees you from feeling like you need to convince anybody that you're telling the truth. What if a simple life was just living honestly and saying what you mean? And then when somebody asks me something and I say yes or no, it can just stand on its own. That's simple. Why? Because I'm a trustworthy person who says what I mean, and I'm not trying to impress you with my words. I'm just trying to be honest with you. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about prayer. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. And then, by the way, after that, he follows himself up by giving really clear language on how to pray. We call that the Lord's Prayer. It's just like really simple. It's really simple. So the point is, many words, lots of words, or, or fancy words don't impress wise people, and they certainly don't impress God. That, that's what you, you need to hear from this. I know that I'm a talker, and I know that when I'm talking a lot, it's usually because I'm afraid that I'm not in control. I remember when I was a more immature person, as a pastor, I would walk into a group of other pastors, and I would talk so I could impress all these other pastors so they would know that I'm validated to be a pastor. Or I'm secretly trying to talk my way into some position of power and authority in an environment so that if, if you just hear what I have to say, then everything's going to work out. And I would, become, I, I would be a person of many, many words so that I could manipulate the environment that I was in. This is one of the great sins of my earlier life. And I had to learn just to, you don't actually need to be in control. You don't actually need to run this moment. Because the more I would be quiet, the more I would find that I wouldn't be in control. And that would give me anxiety. But the more I learned to trust God in my silence, the more I began to realize that God actually wanted to lead my life and be in control and put me in rooms or keep me out of rooms based on his will and purpose and plan. So it took me years to figure that out. But you know what I have now as I'm quiet? I have a lot more peace. 
when I walk into a room. I don't need to impress anybody but God. Okay, here's, here's, here it is. The discipline of simple speech is going to cultivate this in your life. A, a trustworthy and a wise voice. The less you talk, the less likely you are to make yourself look like a fool. So simple speech will cultivate in you a trustworthy and a wise voice. And the second thing that it will cultivate in your life is room to hear God speak. Rather than being uh, always running my mouth all of the time, the more I'm silent, the more opportunity I have to hear God speak. Because when I, when I pause to allow God to speak to me, then what he grows up in me is my ability to hear what the kingdom of God sounds like. In other words, the more quiet I am, the better I am at hearing God. Does it make sense? Okay, so the discipline of simplicity sets us free in our schedules, in our speech, and most profoundly and most obviously, the one that we've all been waiting for is we've got to talk about how simplicity frees us from stuff. This is the big one. And so let's let Jesus talk the most today when it comes to being freed from our stuff because we live in a world that is bound by stuff and Jesus has plenty to say about this. In Luke chapter 12, it says that some, uh, someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Like give me the things that I own or, or that are rightfully mine. Jesus replies, friend, who made, you judge over, who, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he goes on, which we're going to not get bogged down in the theological idea of what Jesus just said right there. But let's move on to the lesson that Jesus teaches from here. He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Let me read that again. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have any room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build a bigger barn. <laughs> I'll just make more space for my stuff. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, probably because he's stingy and doesn't have any other friends, You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Can you just like picture this guy? Banana daiquiri, umbrella, little sunscreen, colorful board shorts, and an ugly shirt, flip-flops on the side, sitting on the beach with a ridiculous barn. My friend. Good job. You've succeeded at life. You've got all the things. This is what Jesus is saying. This guy set himself up like this. He said, eat, drink, and be merry. You're living the good life. Story's not over. Jesus goes on. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then no one will get everything you worked for. God shows up and says, hey, I hope you're enjoying your vacation. This is the last day you're going to live. Who's going to have all your stuff then? Genius. Right? That's a terrifying question. Uh, Jesus doubles down. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Are you catching 
Jesus' lesson. He says it clearly. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. How many times have I been guilty in my own life of having too much focus on too many things that it crowds out my ability to have a rich relationship with God? This is the world we live in that encourages us, encourages us to live like that. In another moment, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And just for the record, you cannot store your fancy car, your iPhone, your clothing in the storehouse of heaven. So he's not talking about physical treasures there. He's saying the most important treasures are the ones that can be stored in heavenly places. These are not physical things. This is your, the, the riches of your relationship with God. And in Mark chapter 10, this rich person comes up and he asks Jesus how to get into heaven. And Jesus tells him about the commands, right? He goes, this, this person comes up to Jesus, Teacher, I've obeyed, all, obeyed, I've obeyed all the commandments since I was young. So what do you mean? I just, I just have to obey the commands and I get into heaven? Awesome. Probably super satisfied with himself, ready to walk away. This is what a great conversation this was with Jesus. And then it says, Mark records this in verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. First of all, if you find yourself bound up in worldly possessions, Jesus does not look at you with disgust. Like if you're sitting here going, I am bound up by stuff, and I need the discipline of simplicity to set me free from my love of things, Jesus' response to you is not judgment. It is love. Do you hear that? Okay, so not condemning. Jesus says this, looking at him with love, he says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad. Why? Because he had many possessions. Now, Jesus goes on to talk about the eye of the needle. We'll, we might get into that in a second, but but I want you to understand this. I, I think it, it might be better if we were to translate this, and I don't have permission to do it, but I think it would be helpful for us to understand if we were to say that what Jesus is saying there or what, what Mark is trying to communicate to us in his gospel here is, is not that he went away sad just because he had lots of stuff in his house, but rather it might be helpful if it said he went away sad because all of his many possessions possessed him. Let me ask you a question. If God said to you today, uh, take your phone and leave it at the altar and never have a phone again, all of my scheduled people just started to sweat. All, all of us who are addicted to social media don't like this, right? 
But, but if God says, hey, take that thing, take the thing, right, what is the thing for you? For, for the millennials and the Gen Z folks, it's the phone. Take the thing. Like this becomes the most valuable possession in the history of the world for at least two generations of human beings. Take it and get rid of it. Do you still follow Jesus? What's your thing? Don't take my house. Don't take my car. Don't take my stuff. Get rid of it. God says, get rid of it. That was a good catch. <laughs> Would you still follow Jesus? Now, this thought experiment is really easy for us to go. Yeah, of course. Just a thing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, sure. Remember when we talked about fasting a couple weeks ago? How easy was that? Just to give up the cheeseburger so you could pray. Oh, not easy? Okay. Look, no condemnation here. Jesus looks at you with love, just like he looks at me with love. But he says, is there anything that if I asked you to give it up, you wouldn't for me? You know what the antidote to that is? The discipline of simplicity. Practice it. So that at some point along the way, Jesus could say, lay everything down for me. And you would go, yes, I will lay everything down for me. Why is this important? Not just because Jesus thinks it's a good idea. Not just because Jesus turns out to have been the predecessor of people like Marie Kondo. And that they're just kind of like riding on the coattails of Jesus' good advice. Jesus actually goes on and says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And you go, I'm not rich. I live in Lancaster, California. No, 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 hold on. You're rich. You live in Lancaster, California. Do you know that you, just by being able to have driven yourself here, from wherever you came from today, literally wherever you came from today, you are among the top 10% of the wealth bracket in the entire world? You live in California. I, I praise the Lord. For the, for the riches and the wealth that we have. But isn't it interesting how wrapped up in the culture and the system of what wealth looks like that we actually consider, oh, we live in Lancaster, California. <laughs> oh, it's, we have it so rough. God, don't take away what little I have. I hope I'm stepping on toes today because I'm feeling it. I don't want to be the only one uncomfortable. So we talk about simplicity. <laughs> he says... How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I, I, I want to confess to you that there's multiple different ways you can interpret that passage. And, and what Jesus is saying there. One of the ways that you can interpret what Jesus is saying there is that just like uh, a needle has a little eye that you string your thread through. That, that Jesus is saying it's that difficult for a rich person to get into the kingdom. It's not an easy thing to do. He might have also been making a reference to a doorway on the side of the holy city. And that in the evening when the main gate of the city was closed so that the merchants couldn't come in and out, if someone was late to town, like after the main gate was closed, they would have to go in through the side gate. 
And, and it's, it's proposed that that side gate might have had like a popular name or a nickname that might have been the eye of a needle because it was sort of small and shaped like that. And one of the biblical, biblical historical ideas is that when a merchant would come in through the side gate, if they had their camel all packed up with all of the stuff, that that doorway wasn't large enough for the camel to get through with all of the stuff on its back. And so that camel had to actually have all of the stuff unloaded so that the camel could go through the eye of the needle. In other words, the camel can't get into the holy city through the, through the, the gate unless all the stuff comes off. This is one of the possible understandings of the people in that moment for what Jesus was saying. But I think regardless of how you understand or interpret or try to put flesh on what Jesus was saying, the point stands. It is hard to get into the kingdom, and you're not getting there with your things. You're getting there on your knees with your heart. Okay, let's be clear. Let's be super clear. Having stuff is not bad. Stuff having you is the issue. That's that's the point I'm trying to get across to you today. Simplicity, confu- uh, we, we cannot confuse simplicity with the practice of ascetism. Ascetism is uh, the renouncing of all possessions. I, I'm not asking you to re- renounce all possessions. God might. I'm not. If God does, you take that up with him. But ascetism is the practice of a forced poverty that requires suffering and rejects God's plan for making it possible for us to enjoy the beauty of creation. In other words, ascetism says, in order to embrace the suffering of Jesus that got me into the kingdom, I must also have a life of suffering that is terrible. But simplicity does not say life must be terrible. Simplicity says life must have room for God which is good. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Again, money is not the problem. Being in love with it is your problem. Simplicity breaks up with your money. It says it's just a tool. It's not something I'm married to right? Jesus referred to this problem as a demonic spirit in Matthew chapter 6, by the way. I'll read it to you in the New Living Translation, which is the easiest to understand here. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you are going to hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. But if if you study the original language, there's a word here that often gets translated into a lot of our English languages. You might have heard the word mammon if you've heard another translation of this. The word mammon is actually a reference to a demonic spirit, which enslaves people to possession and money and greed. So Richard Foster writes this, and and we're moving towards a conclusion here, but Richard Foster writes this. Simplicity is the only thing that can sufficiently reorient our lives so that possessions can be genuinely enjoyed without destroying us. Again, the goal is not for you to have nothing. It's to have a right relationship with the things that you have so that you can actually enjoy life with God. Foster goes on to say, without simplicity, we will either capitulate to the mammon spirit of this present age, or we will fall into an unchristian, legalistic ascetism. Both lead to idolatry. Both are spiritually lethal. So the goal of the discipline of simplicity is not having nothing. It's to be had by nothing so that there's room in my life for my entire life 
to be had by God. Amen? We won't take a ton of time to get into this today, but I'd encourage you to go and study Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Essentially what Paul is saying here, just take a look at the first line, and then we'll move forward, is this. Paul says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. This is the result of the discipline of simplicity as it relates to the things that you own. So practicing the discipline of simplicity as it relates to your stuff looks like take stock of what you own. Take stock of your possessions. Evaluate the purpose of each of your possessions. Like, why do I have this is a good question to ask. Determine if each possession is actually needed. Repurpose what is not needed to become a resource. Meaning then that you do this, you hold everything loosely. Inviting God to use your hands or what's in your hands to be a blessing to other people and then cheerfully giving away what will bless others and lead other people to be loved by God. Remember what Adele Calhoun said, I quoted this earlier, simplicity brings freedom and with it generosity. Isn't it incredible how if you are living a simple life, all of a sudden you can bless other people. So, the practice of simplicity across our lives and all of the ways that it affects our lives, it cultivates or makes room for openness in our lives so that God has room to grow his kingdom in and through our lives. This happens when we find freedom in our speech, in our schedules, and in relationship to our stuff. Simplicity is about the pursuit of God's kingdom and receiving what he wants to give us because we have room for it. Again, we will not take time to get into this. There's so much in Scripture that relates to this idea, but if you were to go and read Matthew chapter 6, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And, and he will give you everything that you need. If you back up to verse 24, Jesus makes an argument that you don't need stuff. Don't worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to wear tomorrow. Don't worry about any of those things. Because the world is worrying about all of that. And he goes on to say, you know, I have taken care of everything. I've taken care of flowers and birds. What makes you think I wouldn't take care of the ones I made in my own image? I will care for you. But you, you've got to trust me. And so our response is, God, how do we show you that we trust you? And Jesus' answer is, seek my kingdom first. Live righteously, and I'll add all of the things that you actually need to your life. But God, I'm so busy adding all of the things that I need to my life. I don't have room to seek you. And he goes, well, then you've become your own God. You don't trust me. And this is where we come to repent. This is where we come to confess. This is where we come to realize that we are bound and we need to be delivered and set free from the spirit of the love of the things of this world. So what do I do? We're going to pray in just a second. But here's something you could do this week. Pay attention this week to the places where you experience feeling crowded in your life. For me, just 
physiologically, when I begin to feel crowded and pressure in my life, I actually begin, it's the same, it's very similar to when I begin to feel or experience anger. I begin to feel this tension kind of come up this way, up the back of my head, and it's not a headache, it's a tension. It's not neck pain like I slept wrong, it's a tension. I think you probably understand the difference. And it kind of comes up over this way, and if, if it gets like to my eyebrows and just all of this business right here is feeling just tense, like you don't want to talk to me. And if you do, just say, Tim, breathe. Okay? If I'm ever just like, it's tense, just breathe. Just breathe. Or give something away. <laughs> It'll be good for you. But So the next time you begin to feel something like you're crowded out in your life, I usually feel like that when it's, when it's time to leave the house and I also have to switch the laundry right now which is a good illustration because that's how I felt five minutes before I had to leave the house to get over here this morning because there was wet laundry right there in the washing machine, and I knew if I didn't switch that right now, even though I have to leave right now, that is going to be stinky when I get home. And I don't want that to happen. So I've got to get out of the house. But I need to do the laundry. And I don't have time for any of this. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know what was funny about that is that Hannah, my our 16-year-old daughter, she walks by and she goes, she has her driver's license now. And so she goes, Dad, just go. Sayla and I will take care of it and we'll drive to the church. And I went, whew, thank you. Oh, it's so, what a gift have a kid with a driver's license. The next time you feel something like that, whatever it was that sets that on for you, here's what I want you to ask. Just ask yourself the simple question. Does this help me love God and love people? Does it? Does this help me love God and love people? Uh, you can get way into the weeds on whether or not laundry helps you love God and love people. Right? I know my wife likes it when the laundry is done. So I do the laundry. Okay, so does this help me love God and love people? When this is related to your stuff, you ask, do I actually need these things? Will, will someone else be more blessed than I am by this thing? And if not, if you're tied up in stuff, then, then the practice of generosity will help you engage in simplicity, meaning give the thing away. When it comes to your speech, do I actually need to say this or am I just adding words to my life so somebody else will think I am fill in the blank thing that you hope that they think that you are? Smart, witty, important, whatever. The spiritual practice of silence will help you practice and enjoy simplicity, right? Go watch Bambi. Uh, sorry, which is if you haven't seen Bambi in a while. Um, if you don't have anything good to say, then shut up. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's why I didn't write Bambi. Um, when it comes to your schedule, the next time your schedule makes you feel anxious, do I actually need to do this? Or am I doing this to make myself feel important? 
does this activity actually create opportunities for God's love for me and for other people? If not, then the practice of Sabbath is the thing that you need to do. Okay, so. Uh, bro, I can relate. Um, we've all been there. We've all been there. I love a family church. That was a glorious moment. Uh, Please, like, I just, I just want to say, like, that, that is actually so cool. <laughs> I love our church so much. Oh, gosh, I love it. I love it so much. I just, I just want to, I, I don't, there's a, there's a moment where you're like, do we draw attention to this or not? No, we do only so that we know, like, we all belong, right? We all belong. Like, it's just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. What were we talking about? We should pray. <laughs> God, we come to moments like this and we, we actually ask this question. God, do I even have time for this? Do I have room for the work that it would take to figure this out in my life? God, help us to figure out the time. Help us to value your kingdom so much that we would do the work to figure out your time, your time, not just our schedules. God, we want to say all of the things. Help us to learn to be silent so that we can have room in our lives to hear you. God, we have so much stuff. We are so blessed, and even then beyond our blessing, we have so much stuff. Help us, God, to pare down what goes beyond what you call blessing and give away what you didn't bless us with, but that we just got so that we can be a blessing with the things that we have. And for those of us who sitting listening to a teaching about our relationship to busyness and things and even too many words. For those of us who feel like this is the anxious thing, this is the, the, the anxiety-inducing sermon, this is the one I don't like or I don't know what to do with or I feel overwhelmed or I feel condemned or I feel whatever other negative emotion right now. For those of us who are feeling all of that stuff right now, we would just say to your soul in the powerful name of Jesus, be set free. Be delivered. Lean into Jesus. Give your life fully to him in any place where things and words and the culture of busyness of the world has taken up your life. Give your life fully to Jesus. God, we say this to you today. Everything that we have is yours. Everything that we say should bring you glory and honor. Everything that we do should make room for you in our lives. 
Help us to use what you have given us wisely. Help us to live free from bondage to stuff. Help us to hold our schedules before you submitted to your plans, not just ours. Help us to be interruptible by you. Help help us to be slow to speak and, and wise when we do speak. Help us to make room for you in our lives so that we can see your kingdom. And God, we say help us because we cannot just simply do this on our own. And help us to know how to apply the discipline of simplicity into our lives so that we can make room for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.